last, last I think three times that I've been up here preaching, and yeah, I appreciate all the, the extra help with John and with Jamie, and, um, and great that people are able to come here in my absence and, and share the word. But over the last few times that I've been up here preaching, I've been preaching from a particular source in the Bible. Anybody know what it's been? There we go. Okay, we've been, somebody was at the first service. Probably. No, I'm like, excuse <clears throat> um, So I've been preaching in Psalms, so we did Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? The people imagine the vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves. That whole thing about the rejection of God's sovereign authority, the rejection of God and his anointed, and so it leads to he that sits in the heavens will laugh. I won't have to go, I won't go through the whole thing again. But again, it's that whole story of a man's, rebellion, conscious rebellion against God and his anointed, which at the time David wrote that was David, and of course, ultimately was fulfilled uh, in Christ himself. And then we went, and, and, and that psalm I found later on was con connected in an interesting way to Psalm 1, so we went back and did the happy psalm, right? And uh, so, we, because the word blessed you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, all that, well, the word blessed, both in uh, Hebrew and in Greek, means Oh, the happiness of. It's an exclamatory kind of a word, right? Oh, the happiness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, all of that. So here's what I thought I would do. Since I, I'm kind of enjoying being in the Psalms, and we've over the last year, we've been through some deep stuff. We've been through the book of Ephesians and digging into some, you know, some deep passages of Scripture. And, and of course, Psalms uh, have significant de depth as well. But here's what I decided we should do. <laughs> How about that? Summer in the Psalms, right? So I fear we'll just stay with this, or at least I'll just, I'll keep going with summer with the Psalms because there are a lot of Psalms that I have really dug into and, I, and they are so rich. And sometimes the, the depth, that, that's, what, that's um, what's, the, the, the Psalm that we'll take a look at today is a Psalm that has so much depth and yet you could read right through it and you would never get it. You would never see it. And yet there's a, there's a piece in this psalm, and I don't, I'm not sure I'll get to it this morning. We'll set it up this morning and then maybe uh, uh, take it home next week. <clears throat> a particular piece that you could just kind of like gloss right over, and yet it is, it is like mind-blowingly powerful in terms of what David saw or, and recorded and wrote by the Holy Spirit that he could have had no idea of the immensity of the revelation that he was in the middle of um, and, and, and it really just kind of, it, it, I'm sure it didn't sound to him anything like the, um, the incredible grand uh, statement that he was making. We'll get there <clears throat> in a little while. Um, so we're going to do summer in the Psalms. Doesn't that sound refreshing? Right? I feel like maybe we'll get some beach blankets out here or something. Some, uh, so, you know, just kind of get the feel here. We'll see what happens. Um, so we'll be looking today at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Where do, you, where do you sink your teeth into this one? This is so rich. And the, uh, the, the, uh, the title of the message here today is, and what Psalm, what Psalm 8 is presenting to us is the glory of God and the dignity of man. Those two things are conjoined. You minimize one, you lose the other. And, they, and there's an order there, the glory of God, and then in 
recognition and the acknowledgement of the glory of God and who God is and what he has done, then we begin to see the dignity, excuse me, of man. So this is a psalm of King David. Um, it's the first psalm that kind of orients us to, uh, to the function of praise. Up to this point, we did Psalm 1, we did Psalm 2, you know what they're about. Then 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are these kind of typical Davidic type of psalms where David is crying out to God because of protection from his enemies or deliverance from problems or forgiveness of his sins, but they all have that kind of tonality to them. Like uh, David is appealing to God for help and for safety and for protection and for all that in, in uh, <clears throat> two through or three through seven. But then when we get to Psalm 8, Psalm 8 is this, th this David is extolling God for his glory and his greatness as creator. He is, he is identifying the sovereign majesty of God. And that's his starting point. And actually, that, that little, uh, that, the phrase that he uses is found in verse 1 and verse 9. It's kind of bookends on the rest of the information that's in the middle of the psalm, kind of sandwiched in between psalm, or verse 1 and verse 9, which is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Okay? And then he starts with that that theme, and he ends with that theme, and in the middle, he gets into some very interesting information as to, he, he kind of asks the ultimate question, the ultimate philosophical, theological question about, <clears throat> you know, who we are, um, and, and he gives us an answer, and, and the answer that he gives is literally the only answer that there is. There is no other answer that ascribes dignity and significance and value and worth to us other than it's being found in the glory, majesty, purpose, program, and plan of God. Take that out, we are nothing, right? And, and so David, the, the question that David is going to pose in this psalm is, very simple, it's a, it's, and it's a question that all of us have um, asked, I'm sure, and asked, particularly asked when we go through difficult times, that last song that they sang, I, I, you know, uh, um, when he was saying, I, I, I forget exactly the line before, I've never been more glad, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm singing that song. You ever find yourself singing things and go like, am I really for real about this? Can I really sing this? For of course, we've been through our deep waters and deep troubles and things like that. I don't know if it's necessarily made me never, been, never more glad, but I've had that kind of total confidence that God had everything under control and I didn't have to be afraid of whatever was going on or coming down. <clears throat> so yep. so um, the question that he asks is, what is man? What is the significance of man? And not what is a man, what is mankind? That's the question. Wh who are we? What are we here for? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? What, is, what are we supposed to be about? What's the function? How do we know if we're succeeding? How do we know if we're getting it right if we don't even know who we are and, and what we're here for? And so it, it is probably the ultimate, most fundamental 
questioned, and of course, all kinds of people have attempted to give some type of a satisfactory answer. If we were talking to uh, an economist, uh, an economist would tell us that, well, what, what is man? Man is a consumer. Man is a consumer and a producer. He produces goods, services, he consumes them, and that's kind of the, the big picture of what the world is all about and what humanity is. Of course, not a very satisfying answer. It drives me crazy to be thought of as only somebody to sell something to. Makes me, it, 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 and, and that cheapens, right? I mean, that so cheapens who and what we are. We're just people that can buy products. But in, in the modern world, that's very typical of the way man is viewed. If we were to ask heads of corporations, giant corporations, what is man? They're customers. They, they buy things. They buy things, I make money. That's, this is kind of the whole philosophy. If, if we were talking to an evolutionary biologist, an evolutionary biologist would tell us that man is a cosmic mistake, a cosmic freak, some kind of an accident of nature, something resulting from undirected, mysterious natural forces that somehow collaborated together to produce us, and what we are is unknown because there is no known purpose. So we just happen to kind of ooze out of the slime and the primordial you know, stuff, and then develop, 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 and here we are after, but what is man? I don't know. Of no significance whatsoever. They don't have an answer. Many years ago, <clears throat> my favorite rock band um, was Kansas. And uh, of course, you all know the song, Dust in the Wind. Everybody knows that song, right? That was the kind of the song that catapulted Kansas to national, international fame, right? But when you think about what was written in that song, all dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind, don't hang on, nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. You know, and, and the song is written by Carrie Livgren, who's the guitar player from Kansas. And later, Carrie Livgren got radically saved, right about the same time that, that Lorraine and I got saved, 1978. He dropped out of Kansas. He started a band called AD. If you ever want to hear some great Christian music, real thoughtful, real deep, real interesting, real sophisticated, like Kansas music was, if you were a Kansas fan, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on there within that band. But he wrote another song to answer Dust in the Wind because Dust in the Wind could no longer speak about what his understanding or philosophy of life was. The song is called No Standing Still. You could find it still on the, on the web someplace. But, you know, that, that again is a flow. What's the, what's the purpose of man? We're just simply dust in the wind. Nothing of any significance um, at all. Um, we also could ask people from, let's say, Eastern religious points of view, Hindus, Baptists, um, Baptists, no, Buddhists, might be a little closer. Well, unless they're Baptists from the East, you know. Eastern Baptists, you know. But the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, those kinds of religious worldviews kind of all revolve around a concept. And the concept is on, we're on some kind of a big wheel here. And the big wheel is called life and it's turning. And somehow, like, we just find ourselves on it. Here we are. And we're going around with it and we'll be here for a certain amount of time. And then we'll die. And then we'll come back. And we'll do it again. And then we'll die. And then we'll come back and we'll do it again. That is not, from my point of view, a particularly satisfying answer to, like, what is man? Okay, you're here to just kind of go around and around and around and around the circle, die, live, die, live, die, live, die, and, and, and doesn't seem that anybody has any answer as to what is, what's the purpose of all this. Now, I think that the, theologically, the answer for, let's say, Hindus or Buddhists would be we're, we're heading to nirvana, whatever 
nirvana may be, but I don't have much of a clear understanding of nirvana, and I have no idea if I'm closer on this trip than I was on the last trip. And as long as I don't mess anything up and, get, and gain for myself like more bad karma, which will keep me on the... So you get the point that there's no answer in there as to what we are. There's an answer as to what's going on. At least there's a theory as to what, you know, what's happening here. But there is really no answer. And the only place where an answer really can be found to this question is in Scripture, is in God. Because only as we acknowledge who God is and that we are part of his creation, then we can begin to find out where we fit in that picture. But outside of that vision, if you will, or that philosophy or that, that understanding of what's going on down here, there really is no answer to this question, what is man? And so David kind of takes it on, and uh, not only does he provide an answer, he provides an answer that is not only true and not only helpful and not only satisfactory, but he, he's gonna, he provides an answer in, in this psalm that is, I promise you, mind-boggling. And, and it's set up in such a way, it's such a surprise how he pulls it up. And, and again, I'm sure that he had no clue as to what he was actually expressing when this whole psalm began to work its way through him, began to write it down. And uh, it's, you, you kind of get this feeling that David is kind of observing the natural order, the cosmos, sun, moon, and stars, all of this. And in light of it, in light of all the vastness, and he knew nothing of the vastness. I was reading in, in prep for, the, for doing this. It is now understood that there are at least 100 billion galaxies, at least. And probably within a number of years, that number will go significantly up. 100 billion galaxies, galaxies that are like 100 million light years across. Light years being the distance that light goes moving at 186,000 miles per second in one year. That's a lot of mileage, right? And that's this, so it, like he, he's, he's looking at it all and the vastness of it and the grandeur of it and the glory of it and all these things. And he, he's kind of asking about what, what is my significance? What is the significance of this in light of all of that? So let's jump into the psalm. <clears throat> Get up there. All right, good. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look to your heavens, get up there. When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Other translations will say, you have made him a little lower than the angels. And the actual word that's being used there is you have made him a little lower than the Elohim, 
which of course is the name given for God in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created, and then it goes on to, to speak of the works of Elohim. So this word Elohim applies to God sometimes, but it also applies to this rank or this order of highly exalted celestial angelic beings. Maybe even this group called the Council of God. That's a long story that we won't get into this morning. But, he's, but it's important that he's identifying, you made him a little lower than these heavenly beings. You made him a little lower than this angelic realm. That's a big part of this whole consideration. <clears throat> you crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So now this is the original um, conference of dignity and, and purpose on humanity originally. Now we know it got wrecked. It got wrecked right off the bat in the Garden of Eden when rebellion happened. And our world, unfortunately, is not the picture of what God had intended. It had mankind been able to live up to and fulfill God's purpose in what he had in mind for us to do. But, so it's, it's kind of crushed, and that's really where you get to Romans chapter uh, 623, 323. For, the, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the concept. The, the, the glory of God was like, the, it's, it's unimaginable what God had. It's unimaginable now, given where we are living and the condition of this present world. It's unimaginable to uh, what God would have accomplished, but it's still in process. It, nothing has spoiled God's plan. It's all still going to come to pass. It's just uh, there were a few other things to happen along the way. So then he wraps it up by saying, what, all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, <clears throat> how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's take a minute and present this to the Lord. Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, give us insight, we pray this morning. Take these words and make them bread Make them life, make them seed, make them that which nourishes and strengthens, that we hear more this morning than just a sermon or a message, but that we actually enter into this grand and glorious reality, what you've made us for, and how we can find our spot within it. So we ask, Lord, that you just come, and Holy Spirit, we look to you, you take these things and help us to communicate them in a way that is true and clear and unaffected by bias and weirdness and opinion and all that stuff, may it just be the pure word of God. So bless our time this morning, and we ask this now in Jesus' name and for his sake, and all God's people said, Amen. all right, so here we go. <clears throat> now, the primary focus of this psalm, as we said, is the sovereign rule or the sovereign majesty of God. The majesty of God is manifested in his glory over creation. This song was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, was actually the um, inspiration for someone who's a great man of God, has been a great man of God in the church for the last, probably all, at least all the time that I've been saved, Jack Hayford. How many know Jack Hayford, right? Jack Hayford, pastor out in the West Coast, California. Um, and not only was a great pastor and a great teacher and a great preacher, but he's a great songwriter. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, he wrote a song that was very popular and very famous in the church for most of the years that I've been a, um, a believer. It's called 
majesty. Remember that song? Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. What a great song. But he got all of that from Psalm 8. That's where it all arose from. So again, this psalm is kind of a celebration of the glory and the sovereignty and the majesty of God. It begins with this interesting phrase. <clears throat> o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <clears throat> it's interesting there, <clears throat> excuse me, because you see that the word Lord is repeated, right? But it's Notice that there's a difference between those two um, presentations of that word. The first is all caps. <clears throat> and whenever you see the word Lord, <coughs> sheesh, whenever you see the word Lord in the Bible, <clears throat> all caps in the Old Testament, that's because what is written there is this thing called the Hebrew tetragrammaton, this four consonant word, which is the name that God identified himself by. It is the covenant name of God to the people of Israel. It is the name that God gave to Moses when he called him into the burning bush. And, 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 God, and Moses said, well, what's your name? I got to know what your name is to go back and tell these people about you. And he said, my name is I am that I am. That's this, um, this all cap version of the name Lord. It is in Hebrew, Y-H-V-H. Now, in Hebrew, there are no vowels. And so you have to add your own vowels. So if you take Y-H-V-H and start monkeying around with just some vowels to see what it would sound like if you had an O or an A or an E or something like that, you would come up with something like Yehoah or Yehovah or Yahweh or something like that. So the sacred name of God, and the, the, this word is so sacred to the Jews that they never say it. It was said one time a year. The high priest could say this word out loud one time a year, and it was after the blood, after the animal had been sacrificed on the Day of Atonement, its blood poured out on the mercy seat, the, the scapegoat was released, the people would send up a great shout, and the priest could say the name Yahweh. <clears throat> because it was just too holy, too holy to be used. You know, when it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that's an aspect to it. But the word, when, when, the, when the scribes were writing and copying down the scrolls and they would come to the tetragrammaton, they would put the pen down, they would walk over, wash their hands thoroughly, come back over, write Y-H-V-H, put the pen back down, go over and wash their hands again, and come back, and then continue to write. It just shows the level of um, care. The, the, uh, that they knew what they were writing. This was not just literature. They were writing the words of God. They were writing the name of God. So anyway, the first one is, O Lord, and it is that covenant name for God that was um, given through Moses to the people of Israel, Yahweh. Or it has been kind of, it's, it's, it's butchered up a little bit to say that it's Jehovah. Jehovah doesn't really work. It only works because for German people, they pronounce 
uh, you're here this morning to check my, my German, but um, Y's are pronounced like, or J's are pronounced like Y's. Jan, right, something like that. <clears throat> and so, uh, but Jehovah's not right, but Yahweh probably is a whole lot closer. And, and anyway, so the, this is the first, oh Lord, our, now we get to the second uh, appearance of this word Lord. That you see is in lower caps with capital L, right? That word is Adonai. Oh Yahweh, our Adonai. How excellent is your name in all the earth. And, and that is so significant because the identification of God as Adonai, Adonai means master, our sovereign Lord and master. So, oh, Yahweh, our sovereign Lord and master. And now he's not only acknowledging the God that's out there, he's acknowledging his relationship to the God. In other words, he is saying, I live in sub submission to you, oh God. You are my Lord. You are my master. That's the idea behind these two things. And that, and that is important in terms of the setup of the message that's being communicated to us here. So he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. <clears throat> now, it's kind of interesting if we compare the psalm to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 starts by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, and earth shows forth his handiwork. So now, in that psalm, David is saying that all of the created realm, all the stuff that we see out there, the cosmos, the, the world, all the things that we see, which have such beauty and depth and intricacy. And, and again, he knew, he knew very little, I mean, compared to what we have learned over these many years um, in terms of the, the beauty and depth and wonder and glory and all of that of the, of the created realm. <clears throat> but um, for, he, he, was, he was seeing it all um, as a reflection the heavens declare the glory of God. Earth shows forth his handiwork. He was saying all of this stuff reflects the glory of the creator. But in this psalm, he's saying, but the creator's glory is out of this whole dimension. You have set your glory above the heavens. There's all kinds of stuff out here that brings glory to God. All the animals and plants and birds and planets and solar systems and galaxies. It all brings glory to God. But the glory that is God's own, his own unique glory, is not yet here. It has been manifested here. It's why it says uh, uh, concerning Christ Jesus, <clears throat> in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And, and, he, and he goes on to say, he's talking about the word. He says, and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was a, an expression of the glory of God, but still the glory of God, the fullness of it, the, 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 um, the magnitude of it doesn't fit in our fallen universe right now, but it will. It's, gonna, it's coming soon. The full tilt, full tilt manifestation of the glory of God will be with man on earth. We will live in that glory. And if, and if you're wondering what does glory mean, it just sounds like a, like a religious word. Glory is the thing that brings praise to a person, that brings renown, okay? So when Tom Brady goes out and plays football, we all cheer. Why? Just because we like Tom Brady? No. He does things. Uh, okay, thank you, Tim. We don't all cheer, as you can see. But the thing is this, the glory has to do with the accomplishments 
and those can't be, that's just real. Or if we go to a concert, you see some musician who's just like killing it on a keyboard or on a guitar or something like that, and you think, man, that's incredible. Or you just watch, a, you know, some football player or, or, or a basketball player hit a three-pointer from halfway down the court, and you think like, this is what brings glory. Now, all of these things are from God, and they are all intended to be reflections of his glory that would, we would be caught up in all of that and that the glory of all that he has made would lead us to him. If it's happening right, it is happening in the sense of like a greater sense of awe, greater sense of majesty, and, and a greater sense that I need to be, I need to figure out how I'm supposed to be in, in, hooked up with you, oh God. I need to, I need to be in right relationship with you. So anyway, here's, here's, here's kind of a principle of this, of this thing that's being laid out in this passage of Scripture. Any true definition of who man is begins by knowing who God is. Without knowing who God is, no one can have any definition of who man is. And that's why we are going into further and further societal and, and identity insanity. Because we don't know who we are. So now we're in all kinds of things and there are multiple genders and all kinds of stuff. But all of that is natural when we depart from the creator who made the whole thing and, and in whom we find our entire sense of worth and value and significance. Notice how this is played out. One more little, the more we understand and acknowledge the greatness, the glory, the sovereign majesty of God and yield to it, Oh, Lord, our Adonai. Okay, he's, he's confessing that he is um, in submission to the greatness and, and sovereignty of God. Right, so the more we understand um, and yield to it, the more we will understand the worth and dignity of our own lives. Notice how this is phrased kind of from the opposite point of view in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is in, oh, I forgot to play that. Well, we got to keep moving. In Romans, Romans chapter 1 is the indictment of humanity. Okay, there's a lot of things are spoken there, um, <clears throat> very harsh and very strong things. You know, for this reason, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things. I mean, so you, by the time you get to the end of that chapter, um, it's a pretty bad picture for humanity. It's, it is the indictment of mankind. And it starts with this phrase in verse, verse 18, chapter 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness um, and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, so what we are mostly guilty of in terms of all the things we are guilty, the primary thing is we suppress the truth and, and want unrighteousness to prevail. Now, notice what he writes in Romans chapter, and, and now this is what follows that statement in verse 18, for um, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against um, those who suppress the truth and righteousness, because here's what he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So in other words, God has revealed himself. God, God has expected that we would look up into this universe and go like, 
Whoever you are that made all this, you must be something else. I sure would like to know you. I sure would like to find you. It, just, just one opportunity to look at the natural creation should be enough to send everybody on a full-time, full-tilt investigation and search for God. Who is he and, and how could he be this great? So in this particular, uh, in, in uh, Paul's indictment in chapter 1, he says, um, all these things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, they meaning us, human beings. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And you see it all around us these days, everywhere you look, we see godlessness and people who have completely rejected the concept of God, and, and, and it is apparent the ensuing craziness and chaos is inevitable. Psalm 14 is also similar in its message, um, kind of an Old Testament version of what we just read in Romans. But here's how, it, here's how uh, David says it in Psalm uh, 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What happens? They are corrupt. They do, they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children. Oops. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And, of course, all of this is gathered in, in Romans chapter 2. You know, uh, it's, it's really a, a rehashing of this. So <clears throat> the rejection of God's sovereign majesty inevitably leads to human insignificance, wickedness, sin, corruption, depravity, and evil. That's where it goes. So that's why it's so important, this, this theme verse here at, in verse 1 and verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory uh, in heaven. So that's the starting point, to understand yourself, to understand life, everything, to ascribe to God the glory that is due unto his name. Now, as the psalm unfolds, you kind of get the feeling, David, maybe, maybe some of the reflections from his shepherding career when he's out with the flock at night or just leading the flock along, and he's looking up at the sky, and he's drinking in all of nature and all the wonder and the grandeur and the beauty of it. He's trying to take in the vastness of the created order, and he's blown away. He's blown away with the, with the grandeur and the majesty, the greatness of the universe. And unlike Romans chapter 1, he ascribes all of this beauty, all of this wonder, all this grandeur to this God, uh, um, uh, now I got Elohim, Yahweh, and uh, uh, to this God Elohim, or uh, uh, Yahweh, I'm sorry, who is his Adonai, who is his master. Okay. There we go. <clears throat> Okay, and in light of all, um, all the grandeur that he beholds, he thinks you, you cannot look at this universe, and again, the more we know about it, the more you realize what an insignificant speck of dust you are, right? There's, it is so large and getting larger all the time because it's expanding, and you, and you kind of naturally ask the question, what am I? What, what is man? What is all this about? What is it for? And so... He asks the big question, what is man? Here's the way it's phrased as we look through the psalm. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And the question leads him back to the answer that he knows, and the answer that he knows happens to be originally found in Genesis chapter 1. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we, we learn there what God's original purpose was for humanity. Let me take you there for a second just to kind of get the the big picture of all this. In, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this was God's original conferring of man's purpose, man's status. So it's kind of like what the psalm is telling us, God who is the sovereign authority over all has put man on earth to be like a mini sovereignty. An under-shepherd, if you will. And, and we are to have, we were originally um, commissioned, charged, bequeathed, whatever the right word is there, with this particular dignity, this glory, that we would actually have dominion, have rulership over this planet, that we would know, um, that we would learn it, that we would master it. And I believe that that's ultimately where everything will go. That's why I don't have a problem between faith and science. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem between faith and, and medicine, okay? Because medicine is just one more of those things that God built into it and says, go ahead and figure it out. Then somebody comes along at some point and says, hey, I got a cure for cancer. Well, that's great. But it was God who put that cure for cancer. The first, let's just not lose focus on what is the real source of everything. But God will, I, I think there are, there are things to be, yet be discovered that, will, uh, that are simply mind-boggling as to what God has built into all of this. And he's charged us to go in and get it, figure it all out, learn it, study it, and know it. Okay, so, and, and man does that. A little, little sidebar, but I mean, this was the motivation behind the entire scientific, the beginning of the scientific experiment. It was people like Galileo and Newton and Kepler and Lavoisier and different, these different scientists, they were not atheists by any stretch of the imagination. Lord Bacon, these were not atheists. They were godly men who realized that, hey, we can get some of that original anointing or that original calling back. Because now that we are in right relationship with God, we can jump back into all this and we're no longer alienated because we're lost in sin and, and, and alienated from God. Now we're on the same page with God and we can actually fulfill the original charge, which was subdue the earth, have dominion over it, you know, that, whole, that whole concept. This is where science came from. Today it has degenerated into something that just simply denies God. Too bad. But... It's, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. Jesus is coming back. <clears throat> so the psalm presents D King David asking himself the question that people everywhere ask. What is it all about? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, after David rehearses <clears throat> God's original impartation or conference upon man of authority in Adam, he returns to his original meditation, which is, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So that's basically 
the, uh, the picture. Now, if, you're, if you were following along closely with what I was saying, you may have noticed that I left something out. Okay, we went through this whole idea of David's initial statement, and then him saying, when I, when I look at the things that you have created, and, and I kind of think of my own worth and all through that, and then he, when he gets to the, the whole presentation or the conference of the dominion and authority and dignity that God originally ascribed to man when... Um, in Genesis chapter one, or conferred upon man, but there's a, and then he goes back to his original statement. But I left a verse out, and the verse that I left out is verse two, and verse two, according to uh, commentators and and you know people who who uh, uh, study deeply all of this, it is according to many one of the most problematic verses in the Old Testament. It just doesn't quite seem to fit. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength that you might still the voice of the avenger. Something like that. We'll get to it. Uh, so, so here's this verse of scripture, which I, like I could see verse two coming maybe after verse three. Because verse three says, what is man? And then we might start talking about the children of men. Okay, but what he, he he's he's drawing attention to the the reality of what humanity is, and he pulls up this verse, and he present or he adds to this: out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. This is really, I think, this is really amazing and really interesting. Out of the mouths of ba so babies, how does this fit into the picture? Right? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Oh, this takes us into some deep stuff, man. This takes us into the very core of, what the, of the story that the Bible is telling us. And unfortunately, I only got about seven minutes left here, so we're going to have to like run this one to next week. But let me just, let me just whet your appetite just a little bit. Because <clears throat> there's a principle in all of this, a principle of the way that God works. You see, if God, if God was picking a team, all the people that God picked, you would go, really? <laughs> you know, like here, this, here's... Um, It'll be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or, uh, you know, Shaq or somebody like that. And, and my grandson, Joshua, you know, and God would go, come on, Josh. You know, like, because here's what God, here's what God uses. He uses the least, the littlest, and the lowest. Okay? He doesn't, and he likes to do it that way. It's a unique principle in God because it blows everybody away and it, and, it is, and it never plays for selfish advantage, right? If, uh, Psalm 13, love, has, uh, love does not, I have to get out, uh, but love does not seek selfish, it does not play or, uh, its own selfish advantage. So God being love, God will never stack the deck that he wins. He always sets things up so that the little guy wins. All right, this is, and we love this. This is why, this is why in our, we, 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 we love redemption and we love the victory of the little guy. Well, let's see the little guy get ahead. It's part of our culture, but it's part of our culture because we're, our culture has been Christianized because we know the word of God. Yeah, I'm here, do I have that? I think so. Oh, that's, all right, that, that's that again. 
Just check this verse out here. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast, boast in the presence of God. So God's enemy, this foe, this avenger, well, of course, that's Satan. That was Lucifer right from the Garden of, before the Garden of Eden, and there was a rebellion against God. And so God was faced with a problem. How do I deliver my creation from the lie that has been told about me, which has poisoned the creation? What happened in terms of that rebellion of Lucifer, and I've only got like a, a minute or two to set it up, but that, 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 that work of Lucifer, remember, he was created perfect in wisdom and in beauty until iniquity was found in him, okay? He was just like God. He was a God double. And so he became jealous and envious of, of the unique place that God has. And so he started to spread a rumor about God, a lie about God. He said, God is not to be trusted. God is a tyrant. God doesn't let you do what you want to do. You have no freedom here. You just simply have to do what you're told to do. You just got to be this little, you know, shut up and go ahead and do your job. So he begins to like sow that. It would be like you come to church here and you're, you're coming and you're enjoying church and you're enjoying the whole thing and somebody walks up to you at, at a few weeks when you're here and says, better keep your eye on Pastor Steve. The guy is not good. Right now, you think I'm great. Hey, you walk in here, we're preaching the word, we're singing songs, and then somebody plants this thought, and John, this is your whole perspective. On, this happens all the time. Right? This happens all the time in workplaces, in schools, among all kinds of you know, there, there is that kind of jealousy that goes, that wants to kind of tear down the leaders to, to, um, for more self-exaltation. And so this was the, basically the pattern that Lucifer at the time, or Satan, followed, and he poisoned, jaundiced the minds of one-third of the created realm, and one-third of the created realm took off out of heaven, and God was looking like he had done something wrong. Now, how does God clear himself? He's going to set up a mechanism. Now, people will ask sometimes, look, if the devil is God's enemy, why doesn't God just, just destroy him? Wouldn't that be a simple way to do this? But if Satan had indicted or accused God of being a tyrant and then rebels against God and God crushes him, guess what? It proves his point, okay? So that's not the route that it's going to go, but God is going to deal with this, and guess what he's going to use? out of the mouths of babes. And he's, now he presents this idea that humanity has been created for a purpose. More than just for us to, you know, make things and buy things and sell things and develop things. Humanity was created for a purpose. It was created, remember, a little lower than the heavenly beings. A little lower. So, and again, you, if, 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 if Goliath beats up David, that's no story. If David takes out Goliath, that's a story. And that's exact. God is going to use the littlest, the least, the lowest. And so out of this thing called humanity, what is man? You made him a little lower than the angels. But you crowned him with glory and honor. You set all things under his feet, the 
um, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, or maybe it's the fish of the air and the fowl of the sea, or, you know, whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. But again, the point being, he is, he is uh, sharing with us, and he, I don't even think he knows it. I, I, because here's the ultimate aspect to this whole thing. Because it's not so much about man like you and me. We fit in this because we are part of this race of human beings. But God's intention from before the foundation of the world is I am going to become one of them. I am going to reduce myself to become one of them. That way I can get below them and I can beat them from the bottom up. That's the way the whole salvation thing has worked. And <clears throat> lots more to say about that. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in, in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, well, the, what you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? And then he, and then, but then he presents this, this one amazing thought, that humanity will be his instrument. Human beings will be his instrument whereby he will blow away all adversity and all um, rejection of his sovereign authority. That's what we'll take a look at next week. And that's, how, and that's why the, the victory of Christ is so immense. And that's why then it trickles down into all of us who are part of the church because we are no longer living in fear of the kinds of things that Satan would try to hold us in prison to. We now have been released and delivered and set free, and we are able to regain aspects of the glory that God originally intended when these words were penned, penned originally. What is man? Well, God's going to show you. 